0: Jim, you wrote a couple articles in March and April of 2020. In the first article, you predicted the return of inflation. And the second article was about how we'd move from an oil glut to an oil crisis. In both of those, you made a big investment case for inflationary hedges, precious metals, and commodities along with energy. And that worked out really well. Commodity stocks did well. But then we began the Fed rate raising cycle. And we probably saw one of the worst bear markets in a long time, since it wasn't just stocks that declined double digits, but also bonds declined double digits as well. We've now seen this nice recovery that's been concentrated in tech stocks over the last nine months or so. You're a little bit leery of that, as we discussed in our last big picture segment because of the overvaluation in this sector. So are you bullish or bearish now, or how would you characterize the investment landscape that we face
1: today? So, Chris. I'm basically bullish. I'm just not bullish on what other people are bullish on. It takes me back to the year 2000, where I had gotten out of all our tech stocks in December of 99. And I started buying foreign government bonds at that time. And I started investing in commodities, whether it was oil, silver, precious metals, base metals. And so I'm just bullish on something that I think is going to be a commodity super cycle. It's going to be a different market and a different asset class. So, if you look at the economic environment, especially I would say the last decade, it's been called the great moderation. So, the Fed, coming out of the financial crisis, expanded its balance sheet from about 700 billion to roughly about 4.6 trillion. Well, why didn't we get inflation? Well, we did, but that inflation. Manifested itself in the financial market. So we had this great bull market run, but that great moderation of low inflation was one reason the Fed could keep interest rates at zero, basically expand its balance sheet fivefold, and we didn't have much inflation in the real economy. It was called the great moderation, and that was made possible by three things cheap labor from immigration. Cheap Chinese goods as we basically went to globalization over the last three or four decades and cheap energy. I mean, just take a look at the last decade. We hit, what was it, in 2014, we were over a hundred dollar oil, U.S. shale was coming on, and then the Saudis had their little oil war and they drove oil down to negative rates. And actually during 2020, we actually had negative oil. I think we hit a negative forty dollars a barrel in the futures market. Well, that era of moderation is over. We have tight labor markets now. I mean, just take a look at the number of companies that are uh, having their employees go on strike or trying to unionize, whether it's Starbucks or Amazon. The day we're speaking, Hollywood actors just went and joined the Screen Actors Guild of Writers. They're going on strike. So we no longer have cheap labor. And we are going to reshoring which means we're not going to have cheap Chinese goods. And of course, take a look at energy. On the day we're speaking, we have $76 oil. I think we're going to probably head up into the upper 80s and 90s by the end of the year. So all that great moderation is behind us. So now, as I just wrote, hopefully we'll release this today, is why inflation is coming back. And one reason, debt levels are just too large now. There's only one way out, which is going to be financial repression and fiscal dominance, which is basically you have the Federal Reserve coming in and basically financing the deficit. Because we just crossed $32 trillion a month ago, and we are now at close to 32600000000000 trillion. We're adding almost $250 billion of debt a month. So the great moderation is over, and we're heading into an inflationary decade. And that's what we're positioning ourselves, because we'd like to look at long-term trends, where we could be heading over the last 10 years. And if you look at the market itself, it tends to go in cycles of about a decade. It was basically consolidated conglomerate stocks in the 80s, tech stocks in the 90s, commodities in the 00 decade, financial assets in the last decade, And I think this decade is going to be a decade or a commodity super cycle. Let's talk about the
0: current investment environment. As you said, you believe that we are going to see an unfolding commodity super cycle. The first wave of that really taking place, we could say, out of the 2020 COVID crash. What are you looking at when you look at the market as a whole?
1: Well, let's take a look at the three major indexes. We can begin with the Dow, which is probably the cheapest of the three major indexes. The Dow is selling at a little over 19 times earnings with a dividend yield of 2%. You go to the S&P, it's selling at 20 times earnings, the dividend yield of 1.5. And the NASDAQ is selling at an astronomical 36 times earnings and a dividend yield of probably roughly around three quarters of a percent. So stocks are not cheap by any measure. And I guess the only thing that could change that is if you were to see an earnings surge, which was one of the things I, as I mentioned in previous programs, we took a look at some of these big 10 stocks that are driving the S&P 500. What I was looking for was AI making a difference on their bottom line. We looked at Apple, Amazon. We looked at uh, some of the uh, Microsoft. And one of the things that you were seeing is what you would see when the economy is slowing down. Their earnings were slowing down, their, their profit margins were slowing down, their sales were slowing down, which would be very indicative of what we've been reporting in the economic news on the LEIs. So in my opinion, a lot of these stocks are overpriced and overvalued. And Chris, let's not forget, we're still in a rate-raising cycle. Over 90% probability they're going to raise interest rates another quarter of a point. And I think whether they go in September or November is going to be very dependent on what happens if inflation comes back. Now, we just saw a 3% inflation print uh, for the month of June, so that's positive. It's why you've seen stocks rally, but what the market is not prepared for, which is the, the name of my article, is the return of inflation, and how the Fed will react to that is going to depend on what I call fiscal dominance, where basically there's only one choice for the government now, which is the Fed will have to monetize that debt. But this is the positive side of this. We saw two negative quarters of economic contraction in 2022. And so a lot of us were thinking, okay, two quarters of negative economic contraction, typically that's your recession. And the Fed was, remember, around this time last year, Not only did we experience two negative quarters of GDP growth, but the Fed was raising interest rates at 75 basis points at every single meeting. So, but, here's the reason why I think we haven't had and gone into a recession. It's been mainly, if there is a recession, it's been more on the goods-producing sector of the economy, not the service sector. Companies and individuals, Chris, have refinanced. Remember, the Fed kept interest rates at almost zero for well over a decade. So who hasn't refinanced their home? What company hasn't refinanced their debt? Now, let's also talk about typically when you go into a recession, the government passes a bill and they pass a bill to stimulate the economy and it's usually some kind of fiscal spending. Well, let me just read you what we've done from 2020. $7.6 trillion Dollars of additional spending. It began with the CARES Act in March of 2020. We passed $2.2 trillion of stimulus. Then we had the Consolidated Appropriations Act in December of 2020. That was $900 billion. We had the American Rescue Plan Act in March of 2021. That was $1.9 trillion. Then we had the Consolidated Appropriation Act Part 2 in December of 2021. That was $1.4 trillion. Then we had the American Rescue Plan Act Part 2 of March of 22. That was $1.9 trillion. Then we had the Inflation Reduction Act in August of 2022. That was $500 billion. In addition to that, there has been like eight supplemental spending bills. The omnibus bill added $625 billion in 22. The infrastructure bill, $370 billion. Honoring our PAC, $280 billion. Food stamp bill, two hundred eighty billion. Healthcare-related orders, one hundred seventy-five billion. The chip and science act, eighty billion. Ukraine supplements, fifty-five billion. Student debt relief, seven hundred billion. So we've pumped uh, trillions and trillions of dollars into this economy. And don't forget all the stimulus checks that uh, were sent out between twenty twenty and twenty twenty one consumers were in lockdown mode, they weren't spending as much money, so consumer savings were built up from the pandemic. And then also the tight labor markets, there's just a dirt of workers needed. Chris, anywhere I go around on the weekend in the local strip malls and shopping centers around where I live, you see help wanted signs everywhere, from restaurants, fast foods to stores. Everybody needs workers. And that's why wage growth has been as strong as it is. But the only thing that has been negative on the economy is tax receipts are down 20% through May. And that's happened three times in the past 40 years, Chris. It happened in the second quarter of 2002, just as the market and the economy bottomed. In the first quarter, of '09, as the economy bottomed in the first quarter of 2020, so any time that's happened in the past, you've seen eventually the Fed pivot, and then you see a big run in stocks and especially commodities like oil, gold and a downfall in the U.S. dollar. And if I look at, Chris, where the U.S. dollar is today, the dollar just broke 100. It is falling, which is another reason you're seeing commodities starting to take off. So we're at this, I think, a key pivot point, and a lot will depend on what happens this fall. But nonetheless, we have $7.6 trillion injecting itself into the economy. And normally you don't see this kind of heavy... Uh, Fiscal dominance that comes in where the government is spending this kind of money unless you're in a recession. And so we've got a lot of money yet that is yet to be spent that can keep this economy afloat. Yeah, that was actually the view of Dr. Edgar Denny,
0: who we spoke with on FS Insider this week. You know, he talked about just how much spending has gone into the economy. And this typically, like you said, is something you'll see after a recession takes place to try to engender a recovery. We've already seen that. So his view is that we've actually seen already a rolling recession as of last year, like you said, with the two quarters of negative GDP. That did not meet Nerber's definition of recession because it wasn't broad-based enough, which is one of the criteria that they look at. Again, as we discussed, you know, the services sector being held afloat, the manufacturing sector, it is in contraction. We are seeing a recession there, but he thinks we've
1: moved out of this rolling recession that we've been in, and now we're in the midst of a rolling recovery. Also, if you take a look at what we're doing now, we're sort of in an economic war, according to Zoltan Pulsar. And it's a an economic war. You've seen the chip wars that are coming out. We're bringing back Taiwan semiconductors building a plant here. Intel's building two manufacturing plants here. So we're bringing back industry to the U.S. because one of the things that we found out with the COVID and the lockdowns is supply chain problems. If you have everything made in one country and that country goes into lockdown, you know, Chris, we saw everything from, I have a, a nephew that's building a house. It's taken longer than expected. They couldn't get windows. They couldn't get appliances. There's been a chip shortage. There's even chip manufacturers that have been taking appliances apart to get the chips. So we're reindustrializing, And once again, remember, we just passed the chip bill Chip and Science Act, $80 billion of stimulus to our tech companies to rebuild and bring chips back here. Because you can't have the U.S. military dependent on China for magnets and chips to make our weapons. How's that going to work? It's not going to work out. So I think this bull market in commodities is going to be driven by supply constraints, the lack of investment since 2014, in ESG policies. I was just reading an article in the Wall Street Journal where Congress is putting pressure on insurance companies not to insure uh, energy companies, uh, you know, or, or banks to make loans to them. Now, some of the attorney generals are coming against that. But ESG, the green transition in something that is not dependent on the economy or anything the government does, it's called depletion. We're seeing it in the energy sector, especially the shales. Uh, Three of the major shale plays have already peaked and are in decline, leaving the last one, the Permian. And once that goes into decline, if it follows depletion patterns, Chris, we're going to see very, very tight energy markets. So you take a look at also this green transition. Everything from EVs, windmills, solar panels, and a grid, it all takes minerals. It takes rare earths. It takes cobalt. It takes lithium. It takes nickel. It takes copper to make all these things that they're pushing, like windmills and solar panels, which I don't think is going to quite do it. I think eventually we're going to end up going to nuclear and more natural gas because you have to have something to handle the peak load on the grid. But all of that takes minerals. And the other thing, too, is when I look at the energy sector, whether I look at the base metal sector, whether I look at the precious metal sector, I mean, you look at oil stocks, they're selling at multiples of five to eight versus 36. You're looking at dividend yields of six to nine percent. Chris, if I could get eight to nine percent in a dividend yield, I'm getting almost 80 to 90 percent of the long-term return in the market that's more predictable than sitting there crossing my fingers and hoping that the stock I bought goes up in value. So P.E. multiples are cheaper. I don't care if you look at base metals, precious metals, if you look at dividend yields on some of these stocks. And one of the things that we're seeing, which I love, is a lot of these companies, whether it's gold stocks or it's even the base metal stocks, They've been increasing their dividends, but they also pay special dividends. So if commodity prices go up as oil is rising now, look for some of these oil companies to pay out special dividends to shareholders, because there's just not been the incentive to invest. And you're not going to see energy companies do that until they basically stop being demonized and you have a high enough oil price to make it more profitable. In other words, it's got to be sustainable. You can't have oil prices rise in one quarter, and then the following quarter they drop. That's not going to stimulate. Oil is a long-term investment. Whether you're developing offshore and even drilling in the shale plays, it takes money, it takes investment, it takes labor. And so they're not going to do that. The rig count is down And so I look at things that are cheap, and I look at things that have something behind them that is going to drive this trend. And this is going to be a supply-driven commodities bull market. Chris, that will last us. I mean, if you take a look at silver, Mexico is the largest silver producer. Their silver reserves run out at the end of the decade. What are you going to do for silver? It's in all your electronics. It's in all your green type of weather years. Solar panels, the new solar panels coming out of China will require more silver. Copper, an EV takes six times the amount of copper than a regular car. We're going to have copper shortages in the article that we're releasing on the web. Just take a look at the inventory of copper and base metals on the major exchanges around the globe. So the green transition and the reindustrialization in not only just the U.S. but it's also going to happen in Europe is going to drive commodity bull markets. It's going to be the two big drivers because industry needs power. Industry uses minerals. I mean, I don't care what you're. If you're looking at your Apple Watch, your Apple phone, your iPad, your Kindle, all of that takes metals to make these things. I mean, I, I crack up that. People want to shut down mining and energy. Well, how do you think you're going to have an Apple Watch or an Apple iPhone if you have no minerals? And basically, we've been shutting down mineral exploration in this country. We've shut down a copper mine in Tucson. We've shut down major minerals in Minnesota. We've shut down a cobalt lithium mine from strip mining in Maine. So, everywhere you look, that just makes us more dependent on China. And I think you're going to see that reversed because we can't be dependent on China. I think you're going to see that just with the Pentagon. The Pentagon doesn't want to rely on China to get its computer chips for its missiles. Hey, we're going to go to war. Uh, Can you send us some chips? I don't think that's going to work. I mean, they had a Raytheon just complain that he can't get enough chips to send Stinger missiles to the Ukraine, much less to Taiwan and elsewhere in the world. So This is going to be two major drivers, Chris, that is going to be with us for a long time. It's not going to be solved overnight. And Jim, you mentioned this person earlier, and you
0: also feature him pretty extensively in your article that we're posting on the web, Zoltan Pozar. Was he in that movie Big with Tom Hanks?
1: (laughs) I I don't think so. Oh, wait,
0: wait. No, that's Zoltar, the fortune-telling machine in the movie Big with Tom Hanks. So yes, Zoltan Pozar is a real person.
1: Yeah, and if you don't know who he is, he used to work at the New York Fed. And in the 2008 financial crisis, he was the guy the government turned to to design the recovery coming out of what could have been a collapse of the financial system. So a very smart, strategic thinker. And well worth reading, if you've ever had a chance to read. Some of his articles you can find on the web, and I highly recommend reading his war series. It was a series of four articles, war and industrial policy, resource encumbrance. There's just a number of them, and I highly recommend.
0: Well, Jim, as always, let's boil this down in terms of
1: what does this mean for investors and the investment implications moving forward? Well, Chris, as I mentioned, I've been very bullish on commodities since 2020. So we're long commodities. We own oil. We own base metals, precious metals, and agriculture, industrials because of reindustrialization. And then also looking at companies that are going to aid in building out the grid because you can't have all these EVs. I mean, I think Biden wants some kind of mandate that all cars sold by American car manufacturers by 2030, 50% must be EVs in our own state of California. By 2035, you're not going to be able to buy gasoline engine cars. And so what does that mean? You're going to have to have a grid that's going to support this. If everybody's driving around in an EV, where's the electrical power going to come from? What if you need to charge your car in the middle of the day because your battery's running low? You can't be in a situation as we were in California last year where, you know, the governor said, hey, between nine in the morning and nine at night, I don't want you charging your car. There isn't enough electricity in the grid to power it. So we're going to have to build out the grid. I'm bullish on that. I'm also bullish on healthcare. We have an aging global population. And if you look at medicine the way it's practiced globally, there's two things. It's either surgery or they give you a pill. And as you get older, you take more pills. So We love the drug stocks. And then also, Chris, I think with inflation, I love consumer staples. When people are pinched because of inflation, they have less money to spend, and they'll spend that money on essentials. So I think these are going to be the key areas of investing for the decade. The main driver, our largest holdings, are in commodities. As I mentioned, we own oil, we own base metals, we own uh, very big on copper and silver, as well as gold. I'm very, very bullish on silver. I think silver is going to explode this decade. What happens? What happens? When Mexico starts running out of silver to produce, what happens when China starts running out of silver? Everything that you can think of in the green transition takes silver. Everything you can think of in electronics, in all these gadgets that we have today, from our iPads to our Kindles to our iPhones, takes silver as a conductor. So very, very bullish on silver. So I think this is going to be a great decade. And if you look at most bull markets, the first three years are the the people that see the opportunity and see the value, they move into the sector. So that drives the market the first three years. After three years of rising profits, usually phase two is institutions start getting involved. And they drive the market for the next three years. And then phase three and the final phase of the bull market is usually the investment public gets on board. They think, oh, man, this is the place to get rich. They jump on board and drive the final three years of the bull market. So if you look at these cycles, and they normally last a decade, and just think about it. stocks in the 80s, they were conglomerates. It was all about consolidating this company, buying another company. 90s, it was about technology. The OO decade was about commodities. The last decade was about financial assets. I don't care what you bought. If you bought an index fund, whether it's stock or bonds, you made money. This decade is going to be about commodities. It's going to be about industrials. It's going to be about health care with an aging population. And it's going to be about consumer staples because of inflation, which takes More of your money and leaves less to spend on discretionary spending. So very, very bullish on these trends, Chris. And the great thing about it, the dividend yields in the drug sector, the dividend yields in staples, the dividend yields in commodities have never, ever been better. And I'm a big proponent of dividend investing because it's something that's tangible. It's real. You get a dividend check, you can spend it. You can save it or basically reinvest it. If you want to, that's predictable. And most people don't realize over half the returns of the market over the last hundred years have come from dividends. You want to understand Warren Buffett dividends and cash flow, which has made him one of the richest men in the world. I mean, I think I was reading an article, Buffett alone from his five key stocks, which includes Apple, Chevron, uh, American Express, Coca-Cola, he gets like $6 billion a year just in dividends. So that's the thing I like about this sector, and nobody's, very few people see this right now, and that's why I think it's a great opportunity.
0: Well, as we close out today's show, be sure to keep an eye out for the article that we discussed today, where we outline a number of these big picture, long-term themes that we discussed, and why we still think commodities are a good place to be. That is going to be posted on Financial Sense, and it is titled, The Return of Inflation. So this is going to be the second part of Jim's latest ebook. Our podcast is sponsored by Financial Sense Wealth Management, named as one of the top investment advisory firms in the U.S. by the Financial Times. If you have any questions about our asset management or financial planning services, or how you can come on board to be a part of what we're doing here at our company, feel free to click where it says contact us on financialsense.com, or you can also call us directly at
1: 888-486-3939. In the meantime, on behalf of Chris Sheridan and myself, we hope you have a pleasant weekend